Day two, pitch three. Peloton turns cycling into a $1.5 billion business. Strava did the same thing for running. And one of the most successful startups to appear on our show is Fight Camp. They made a huge business out of a tech-enabled punching bag. On today's show, the Peloton for horses. Well, for equestrians, actually. But one of these sports is not like the others. To get started with horseback riding, you have to buy a horse, get a coach, and a stable. But running, on the other hand, is free. Just about anyone can go outside and run if they want to. So the equestrian market, it's way smaller, but it's full of passionate riders. Is passion enough to make horseback riding the next billion dollar business? Will the VCs see their next shiny unicorn or will they just see a horse? I'm Josh Muccio, welcome to The Pitch, where real entrepreneurs pitch real investors for real money. Hey everyone, I'm Beck Bamberger, Managing Partner of Bad Ideas Group. Hi, I'm Al Bashera, the Managing Partner at Interlock Capital. Hi, I'm Gillian Manes, Managing Partner of Structure Capital. I'm Howie Diamond, Managing Partner of Pure Ventures. The pitch for Ride IQ is coming up after this. Giddy up! <laughs> And if you want to watch the video of this pitch, go to pitch.show slash YouTube. Episodes premiere on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello. Hello. Great to meet you. I'm Kinsey. Nice to meet you. Hi, Kinsey. Al. Al. Kinsey, nice to meet you. Hi, Al. Jessa. Hi. Howie. Howie. Nice to meet you. Hey, Jessa. Hi. You must be Jillian. Jillian. Hi, I'm Kinsey Lux. And I'm Jessa Lux. We're sisters, co-founders, recent tech stars, grads, and former upper-level equestrians. Prior to Ride IQ, I was a senior investment associate at Blackstone. And my background is in marketing and community building. My experience as a rider includes winning a gold medal at the Junior Olympics. I was 13 when I moved from Minnesota to Florida alone so I could learn from an Olympic coach. I made that sacrifice, but I was still riding without a coach most of the time. Eight million equestrians ride without a coach for four out of five weekly rides. Those solo rides are astoundingly unproductive. And that's why we built Ride IQ. Ride IQ is a mobile app with on-demand, listen-while-you-train audio lessons taught by the world's best coaches. Open the app, choose a lesson, press play, and you have an Olympic coach in your ear guiding you for every step. We launched in August of 2021 and have organically grown to over 1,500 paying members and $430,000 in ARR. 
8 million equestrians paying $30 a month for Ride IQ equates to a $3 billion TAM. And that's just with our launch product. The TAM is north of $20 billion when we expand across three other verticals. Ride IQ is bringing world-class coaching to every athlete, and we will drive a new era of athletic performance. We're kicking off a fundraise of $1.5 million and are looking for partners who share this vision. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, we'll so this is only on. audio, correct? correct? So this really gives them the guidance they need to make progress between in-person lessons, but it doesn't replace having your in-person lessons. So can we talk more about the market size? I think you said like 8 million equestrians out there. Does that include like people that aren't really competitive, they don't care about the training, they just like riding? Like, what does that number actually include? That includes riders who ride consistently. So those are your riders who are riding four to five times per week. Mm -hmm. That said, it's not necessarily only your competitive riders. Your your competition riders are definitely a big portion of that whole demographic, but there's a lot of riders who really just do it because they're passionate about it and they have their horse in their backyard or they just enjoy doing it, but they still want to develop with their horse. Yeah. But that's 8 million in the U.S.? 8 that's million global. globally? Okay, yeah. it's global. Okay. And so of those, have you done the research to figure out, like, how many of them actually want training to go along with it? Yeah, I mean, based off of the customers we talk to, the users in the market, I mean, everybody is looking to improve. We have a user who she's an 89-year-old woman who she loves to go trail, trail riding hmm. with her friend, but she's a paying user of Ride IQ because when hmm. she's not trail riding with her friend, she wants to develop with her horse and she wants to learn something. Our users, they've coined themselves horse nerds, and there's always an opportunity to educate yourself. And for $30 a month, I mean, it's a really small subset of what they're already paying. How long have you had your customers and give anything on retention and Yeah, we launched in August of 2021. Um our one month retention is 84%, our three month retention is 67% and our 12 month retention is 42% and I'll note that normal consumer apps that are subscription based um the 12 month retention is 21% is the median so we are double that. I like that you've experienced the problem firsthand and you really you deeply understand it seems like the customer journey because you've been on it yourself. But just educate us a little bit on like, is there a general playbook for success or like general best practices for each of these disciplines? So the way that we think about our coaches is we have very strict criteria that we recruit coaches under. And our number one priority is that they have a history and a reputation of proper horsemanship. And we want to make sure that the information that they're putting out there is accurate and it puts the horse first. So it's very compassionate approach. And then two is, do they have a proven record of producing riders and then as themselves as a rider? A lot of our coaches are celebrities in their own right because they have that proven record. They have decades under their belt of being successful in these sports. I mean, there's a reason that the oldest Olympians every summer Olympics are the equestrians because it really takes decades in order to become an expert. And that's why these mm. having access to the best coaches is just like absolutely so valuable. Where's the research or where's the conviction around audio learning? Yeah. And I'll give you an example. I do Krav Maga and I do group classes, which are fine. That's great. That's fun. It's super social. But then I do one-on-one. And my instructor yesterday was just saying, oh, you're a visual learner. I show you exactly this. You do it exact. And it's also someone who's yelling at you one-on-one. You can't hide. So it's very impactful. So where do you think on the audio learning and how does that sit into this to someone who might say, no, I need a coach who's right next to me 
or with me on the horse. I don't even know how the coaching happens. So where does that sit? So the, the, the real value of audio for horseback riders is during the activity. So yes. it meets you where you are when you need it most, which yes. is when you're in the saddle. Yeah. Uh, and the way that we think about the effectiveness of audio is we hear from our members they are never more focused than when they're listening to these lessons. You channel in. You're not thinking about that meeting that you had 30 minutes ago. You're not thinking about what you have to do after your ride. You are focused. And they're saying they, that they get their best rides out of their horses when they have audio lessons in their ear. Um, and then the phase two of Ride IQ is having a video support for every audio lesson. So before you get on and mm. take this audio lesson, watch oh. this two minute video. You can see the coach doing it. Oh. It can make visual learners feel safe because that's what we want. It's obviously, it's gonna be a higher cost to roll that out, but um, we're at that stage of the business. What did it cost you to get the recordings done, getting them put into the app? Like, what did that cost? Yeah, so it's $100 on average per lesson. That's it? Wait, so, wait. That sounds <laughs> exceptionally cheap. It, it is exceptionally cheap. And yeah. that yeah. is the natural response to that. We're, we pay the coaches $100 per lesson that they record. It could be a nine-minute lesson or a 45-minute lesson. It. it doesn't matter to us. Our coaches record their lessons while they're on their own horse. Yeah. And we tested every way that a coach could approach these audio lessons. They could record from the ground watching somebody. They could record with a lesson plan in front of them, or they could record on the horse. And we tested that with our test riders ahead of time. Every person said they prefer it on the horse and they enjoy the experience. They feel like the coach is in their head yeah. while yeah. they're yeah. riding. Yeah. I get it. They're, they're yeah. the back and they tell us things all the time. Like when that ho when the coach's horse blew air out of its nose and relaxed, my horse did that in the same moment. And those are such cool experiences, especially given that this is a solo sport. So it can be lonely. And when you have someone there with you and you've, you're starting to feel like friends with these celebrities, yeah. Yeah. it's a cool experience. But that's why we're able to pay $100 because it just makes it so that they can can make a hundred dollars more than they otherwise would on they record that ride. one lesson that's a hundred dollars not how many yeah. times the lesson has been played back correct no. mm -hmm. we're scrappy you guys Just so, yeah we, we i'm I mean, struggling with like price as an friends. indicator of quality and right. to get the best coaches are these the best coaches that are just asking for a hundred dollars we have one olympic gold medalist several olympic medalists six Olympians, all of them have competed to the top of the sports. We're not making any sacrifice whatsoever in terms of quality. Like what you're saying is the nature of the equestrian market. Unfortunately, people who are top equestrian athletes, they're still kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Like mm. it, it doesn't mm. have a financial model that can support these See, people the way they should. there's something really interesting with that because there are amazing coaches yes. Yes. in every sport that aren't okay. quote unquote famous but they're professional at the highest level and they're only getting paid for the coaching they're doing one-on-one. -on -one. And so there's something really interesting with that gap in the market, on the coaching market, that you can come in and incentivize them to work with you at a scale that they've never experienced and for the world to be able to utilize their expertise. How long is the focus on horses? Because I'm thinking in the billion dollar of like, oh, this is new audio learning. This is the next masterclass in audio. So for example, I fly helicopters. I'm like, oh, I could be listening to a flight thing, like level to the, so I'm seeing it in multiple applications, but I wonder, I'm asking, are you just horses? I don't think, I think that would be selling the business short. It's selling the vision short. Yeah. There, there's so much opportunity within equestrian. 
if we capture 5% of the equestrian market, that's $100 million in revenue. But we see there's see so much value to expand this to other sports. Every time we talk to someone, they're like, wow, I'm a golfer. When can you do golfing? golfing? Or I'm a skier. When can you do skiing? <laughs> and, um, and so we do see the value there. And we just want to make sure that we're doing it in a very methodical way where we don't uh, risk underselling our equestrian endeavors. What, what level of scale engagement revenue do you feel like you need to get to before you would want to expand? For me, it's really a matter of having expanded to all the disciplines that we want to address within equestrian. Mm -hmm. We're already in the process of expanding to two more disciplines um, in the next couple of months. And then we are getting more requests for Western disciplines every day. So how um, many disciplines are there total? Eight. There's like there's like no, 15, eight. really. Oh, yeah. There's 15? English. Oh, yeah, 15. English and Western disciplines are like kind of two different sides of a coin. Um, and right now we are primarily focused on English disciplines. And so right, we're expanding within English and then we are going to expand within Western. And I think once we feel like we're on that path, that's when we start to do the customer discovery in these other markets to understand where do we go next. So curious on the raise, one and a half million, uh, how far along are you? Have you set terms? We're really just starting the conversations with this pitch. So, okay. um, yeah, it's a good launching point, hopefully. <laughs> um, and then we're targeting 10 million posts, um, ideally on a safe, but we're flexible on that front. One and a half million. At what point does it achieve what goals? Yeah. So ideally in the next 12 months, we'd like to hit 2 million in ARR. Um, and then in the next three years, we want to hit over 5 million. And where are you in ARR now? Sorry. 430. Okay. I never thought I would say this, but I might be interested in investing in an equestrian company. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm relatively comfortable at 50K. That'd be great. We'd love yeah. to have you on board. There you go. I love the scrappiness of you two. You guys clearly know the equestrian market really well like in a deep, deep level and the customer problem and everything that you're solving for that. I get concerned about expanding outside of that. Is it just going to be a natural, easy evolution into these other markets and speaking the lingo and knowing the customers uh, with these other sports? And then just the revenue projections, you know, a three-year, five million ARR doesn't make me super excited either. I would really want to see you get to two to three million in ARR within the equestrian sector, and then one expansion out of the equestrian sector into another sports, and then I'm I'm going to be in. But for right now, I'm out. We'll keep I, your number. <laughs> I, you. I agree on that. I have the same concerns. To get to Howie's point, like where are those other ones that are as sticky and small Fly as fishing. horse? Fly fishing, <laughs> golfing. So I mean, where? I mean, but let's hear from that. I want to hear like where do you see that? Some of the verticals that we're excited about would be things like boxing or gymnastics. I also don't want to rule out activities like photography or physical therapy. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity for audio lessons. We don't have a lack of conviction in these other verticals, but we certainly have less testing that's been done. Right. Sure. We feel a lot of conviction and product market fit in our current equestrian market. If, I mean, I would encourage you guys to look up reviews on social media or and the app store of Ride IQ, the word game changer is used over and over. They're glowing reviews. Seven of our members have Ride IQ slogan tattooed on their body. <laughs> Wait, how many? Seven. Holy cow. It's a, yeah, it's Permanent not insignificant. Tattoos? Yes. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's fanatical. It's a passionate user base. 
to use an analogy, like with the kind of like the horse blinders, I think you're too horse focused because, and that's why I'm a pass for now, I would want to hear, listen, audio learning is about to take off. Now we have found this first market, which we know deeply about. So we're going to own that market. And then here are the next five ones so I can paint you the picture of how this is a multi-billion dollar company. That's what I would want to see. So I disagree with you and Howie. Let's do this. Okay. (laughs) You're missing the point here. Point is a very, very active, engaged entry point. You know this market cold. I don't want you to think about any other market right now. Because if you do this well, you can take every strategy that you're going to learn from this and bring it to another fanatical market. So are you in? Yes, I am in. Okay, there we go. I want you to crush this. I'm in for 50K. Are, Are you good on those terms? I'm a little uncomfortable with... 10 post. Yeah. Right. I wasn't that's totally comfortable hot. with it. Yes. Yeah. Because that's, that's yeah. that you're, you're basically 10x over revenue yeah. right now. And that's, that's that, not that it's very high. And to me. What, what valuation do you feel like is appropriate? Six yeah. million. I'll just tell you yeah. it's six million. Yeah. Jillian, we'd love to have you on the team. So, well, if, if it works for you guys, do we like go into diligence, have these conversations, yeah. and then take it from there? Yeah. Does yes. that work? That's how it There's works. a contingency on Jillian's investment, though. You have to teach her how to ride a horse. I yeah. Easy. Let's gallop here. We love that. Right well, on. thank you guys so much for your time. This was a blast. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. you guys. Great job. Thank you. You guys are morons. They'll take our money in a year and a half from now. Maybe not. They because, will. Trust well, me. Well, maybe I won't let them. Oh, okay. You're going to block <laughs> them for taking our money? Yeah. All right. I'll block you in the next deal. Okay, right, fine. Fine. Um, okay, well, one of the, that's one of the on things record. that I was super <laughs> excited about with these two is um, I, early 2000s, I was big into four wheeling. I started a website called Jeepaholics. It was this ridiculous community. We had like mm-hmm. millions of page views every month. I didn't know what the heck I was doing with the business. And I was a solo founder. I made all the mistakes. Um, but I had this ridiculously yes. passionate group of people. Yes. And the, they're on the inside. They have this thing. I just, yeah. at this stage, it's very much about the team. This, yeah. And this investment is not a huge investment. It's an early stage investment. And Let's get your foot in the door. And yeah. And like the, it's, it, this team just felt right in a lot of ways and the position that they're in. So a lot of that stuff got me really fired up about what they're doing. Yeah. So I love a good fanatical market. Years ago, there was a book. It was knitting with dog hair. Wait, what? Okay, what? This is important. Who does story. that? That's a thing. <laughs> and it was, and they came and they pitched this to me, and I thought this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. <laughs> but they showed me the numbers on dog owners, mm. and they showed me the numbers on knitters, mm-hmm. and then they said this is combined. Everyone wants to have a little piece of fifi that they can wear, and it was no, crazy. Really? Well, I passed. Okay. This has taken off. And it just showed me that if you have a fanatical market, you could sell them anything. It's like Twitch is a great example of that, too. When people, if someone pitched me on a voyeur platform for people watching other people play video games, it'd be like, what? No. No. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
So uh, what do you think you'll get the terms at? Six. You think you'll get it down to six? I'm not going to do it if it's not six. Their margins are great. Their growth is not. Yeah. So like six, between six and seven yeah. makes mm-hmm. sense. I think what's yes. unique about this is it really is horse-led growth, which yeah. I think is the way. Wow. <laughs> to tackle this you market. There. That's yeah. awesome. Talking a lot of horse sense. I like that the, yeah. their combined intellectual horsepower, too. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, All right, wow. we're done. You know what? I mean, we're you, done. I feel like this conversation is a little bit of horse sense. Okay, we're wrapping. Okay, break time. Oh, yeah. Kinsey and Jessa trotted out of the studio with 100,000 in commitments from Al and Jillian, who were ready to take this Mustang for a ride. But there's a loose end left untied. The founders think their company is worth $10 million. The investors think it's worth six. That's a bit of a gap. When we come back, Kinsey and Jessa will try to close it. But terms end up being the least of their problems. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. A week after their pitch, Kinsey and Jessa got on their first due diligence call with Jillian and Al. Please fasten your saddle, keep your arms and legs inside the horse at all times. No, seriously, buckle up. This is a bumpy, tense series of phone calls. First of all, you have a lot of competition. There's one from the International Equestrian. It's called Horse Riding Lesson App. There's another really big one called Rider Guider. Why are you going to win? There's only one other company that is truly doing listen while you ride audio lessons by top coaches. And they took that page right out of the Ride IQ book because they've seen the hype around Ride IQ, which is great. Like it's a good sign to us. The company is called Noel Floyd. So that they launched audio lessons between 10 and 14 days ago. So this is fresh, but it's very much been on our radar. We've had coaches call us and talk to us about the fact that they were approached by Noel Floyd, but there's not a concern there from our standpoint. They have said that they'll release new lessons each month. We're releasing new lessons every week. And I just can't imagine people really doing what we're doing better given the network we have and the commitment that we have to this. So they are our biggest competitor. Is it a concern to us? Honestly, truly, no. I, I think it's good 
to see that this other company, this Noel Floyd is copying what you guys are doing and reaching out to your trainers. But I also think it is something that you should be very, very worried about and not as flippant about it because uh, it's just an example of, oh, somebody who's in the space is able to flip this and turn it around and release and test it. So I think it's important for you to recognize that you do have some people nipping at your heels. You may have had a head start, but you got to stay in front. One thing I would like to add is just our goal has been to create a product that expands beyond like the possibilities of the equestrian space. And our real mission and the vision of the company is to give everyone access to world-class coaching. And I think that that's really different from what these other companies are doing. It's a much smaller scale than what Rod IQ is trying to accomplish. Okay. And you're raising, remind me. We're raising a million and a half. And what is the valuation? We're, we're targeting a 10 million post. I don't think anyone at this point point in time would come in with anything higher than six? Uh, there's Look, uh, it's super rare and, and uh, not really typical for a founder to come to the table with, hey, these are our terms, when you have had no validation from investors that this is actually what the market will bear. It just feels off and not quite right for, for where, you guys, where you guys are. I need to do more work on this. I need to understand a little bit more about the competitive landscape. Uh, so I'm not going to invest right now. I, I feel there's a lack of defensibility here and I'm not quite sure how you're going to win. Thank you, Jillian. Um, I'm not out yet. Um, I think the valuation is the biggest gap we got to work towards uh, to make sure that, that we figure that part out. Um, I don't know if the six million makes sense for you guys or if that's a, a no altogether, um, but would definitely like to have that conversation because I think that's where we'd like to be as well. And just like that, Jillian was off the horse, of course. But Al was still in. A week later, they got on another call, but they were still stuck on terms. Where is your appetite? Like, what is the valuation that gets you really excited about being involved in Ride IQ? Because so for me, I kind of look at it as that six million number is good because that's like still a 15x your revenue, which is still a pretty sizable markup. So that's where I'd like to see things. Totally hear you on the six million. My inclination is to try to push for seven or seven and a half. I don't know what your thought is there. And I don't, I know we're just like splitting hairs at this point, which I also don't want to do because it's not a good use of anyone's time. But I don't want to walk away and be like, man, I wish I had just like asked and find out what he thinks. So that's kind of how I'm feeling about it right now. Yeah, no, that's reasonable. And, you know, I would say seven is worth having a conversation about. We do what I talked about in the on the show was kind of a 50k allocation out of our fund, right? But we also have the opportunity to invest out of our syndicate as well. And I can tell you that a, that six million number is definitely going to attract far more attention. Uh, we've seen it over and over again. Seven's not bad. It's something we should we can certainly discuss, assuming you get traction at that amount. Yeah. If the 
terms were at the at a six mil cap on the safe, would you be willing to write the check more quickly as opposed to waiting to see how the round is going? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And I'd probably spin up a syndicate almost immediately too, if it's the right stage and the right valuation and things like that. We have the ability to do around 150k out of the fund. If we're at seven, then I'm I'm definitely in for the 50, assuming you get your traction. That definitely helps. Like the faster we can execute this fundraising round, the, the sooner we can get back to operating the business. Um, so we're, I mean, it, it that is huge for us and great to understand. Um, I don't know if you know right now or if you need to think on it, but would the number you're investing change at six as well? If we're at six, then yes, I I am would potentially be more interested in going higher, um, closer to that 150 number out of the fund itself. Okay. And like I said, I could I could start spinning up a syndicate pretty quickly if that's where we're at. When we get things dialed in where we want them, then we tend to go in a little deeper. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's the difference between like getting a safe written next week and waiting until we're like have full commitments on our round, I think it definitely changes our our stance on the valuation. So um, just let us discuss and, and we'll come back to you. Awesome. I'm I'm ready to go with you guys. I like what you're doing. I think you guys are amazing and I'm excited to take that next step with you guys. So with the $150,000 carrot in place, Jessa and Kinsey had a decision to make. But first, they did their own due diligence on Al. They spoke to a few founders in Al's portfolio, and he passed the test. Just under a month later, they all got together to finalize the deal. Where we left it off on our last conversation was 150K out of the fund, plus a potential for a syndicate investment at six. And if everyone is in agreement on those terms, that's something that we would be really excited, excited to move forward with with you guys. Awesome. We're excited as well. How's uh, how's the fundraise been going so far? How many angels or funds or whatever have you had conversations with? Yeah, there's there's two angels that we're in conversation with and then two other funds that we're like actively conversing with. And then, I mean, always taking additional introductions. There was another introduction made made for us on Monday of this week. So we're still kind of growing that list. Does that mean that since we've met, you've had conversations with those two angels and those two funds? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna share some thoughts here. Um, that's not anywhere near enough, and I say this with love. You should be having four conversations every couple of days, if not every day. That's not what I expected to hear. I was hoping to hear that, oh, we've got a half a million committed. We've got these investors who are good with this ballpark set of terms. And it, and it feels like it feels like you guys haven't really pressed on the fundraise that much. And so fill me in on like, is that what's happening? Am I wrong in my assumption there? The outcome of these conversations with you guys are really going to kind of help define how the rest of the round looks. So we wanted to really see this through and make sure that we gave this uh, our our full kind of, the full focus that it required and then really push on other funds once we, once we have these 
these commitments finalized and use that as like our leverage to make them move faster. Okay. So where are we at, Al? Are you like having second thoughts on your investment or is there still a path forward here? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I'm, I do have hesitation. I think what I would like to do is say, okay, from the fund, we'll commit 100K at these terms, but I do want to be able to see that you guys can commit to the fundraise and that you can keep your investors updated and you can run a process, right? And so I would like to see you be able to get additional commitments. And if you get to a certain point and it's looking good and you're getting these commitments and you've got great momentum and you need a little bit to, to finish it out, then maybe that's something that, that we can look at doing as well. Clearly, Al had cult feet. But I knew this deal was in deep horseshit when a month later, I got a text from Al that said he hadn't heard from the Ride IQ founders since that call. And then a month after that, another text from Al. He still hadn't heard from them. Hello, Kenzie, Jessa. It's been two months since we last spoke. What happened with Al? Yeah, it has been two months and it's blown by. Um, first meeting with Al, he had talked about doing 150K at 6 million. And he was like, I'll do that now. Or if you guys insist upon doing it at 7 million, we'll talk about 50K and it'll be contingent upon a larger raise. And so it might have like, who knows, maybe it was a miscommunication, but we took that to mean he was kind of ready to be our first check when that was not what he came back with. We were kind of just like, this is probably just not going to work, which is disappointing, but it's okay. In, in your minds, he was slipping to say like, I'm not going to lead this round anymore, but I'll be the last check in. Yeah. Moments after we got off that call, it certainly was us talking about whether Interlock was the right partner and vice versa. I'm sure they were having that same conversation too. He was critical of us for not having spent the past period of time since we spoke to him. All systems go on fundraising, but under the agreement of him being the first check in the door, you know, he was he was being critical based on expectations that he did not ever explicitly share with us. Right. You know, the conversation was based on them being first. So you'll reach back out once you have some momentum in the fundraise to say, hey, do you still want to be part of this? Or have you just kind of written this one off with Al? I would say the latter. Jessa, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Given those conversations and the change in the agreement, it was just like, this probably isn't a fit, which of course it's a bummer. The momentum would have been great and those follow-on deals would have been great, but it's not worth a check to get someone in the door who's going to be a source of stress. Do you think you dropped the ball with Al or Al dropped the ball with you? I, I think we certainly could have fostered that relationship better. To be completely honest, we got off the second call and I was ready to move on and build our business. And I just moved on with it. In hindsight, this was a learning. You have these weird moments with people and then 
you have the opportunity to like be human and share what you're going through and share what you're feeling. And there's a positive trajectory that you can go on from there. And we didn't take that opportunity with Al. Yeah. I was going to ask if you're getting a case of investor whiplash, but it sounds like for the most part, you guys are just building your business. It's interesting that you should say that though, because a lot of this brings me back to Techstars. Part of Techstars is Mentor Madness, where we meet with 60 investors in one week, which Yeah, can I just say, that's crazy. That sounds like hell. (laughs) It is hell. There have been times I look back and I'm like, they should not do that. That's, you know, like emotionally distressing and of course getting contradictory advice that whole time. But as I get distance from it and as we go through more and more experiences, including like with investors, it is so much easier for us to check in with our intuition and trust ourselves. I mean, venture capitalists, they're brilliant and they've seen so many things, but trusting ourselves in terms of like taking that information in, but not treating it as gospel is a very important skill for moving forward in the direction you intend to. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Thank you both for going on this roller coaster with us, despite the investors on our show not working out. Actually, on that note, you guys wouldn't believe it. I don't believe it, but we've already had two calls with people who are just interested in Ride IQ based on the trailer that you put out. And we're like, <laughs> how did you even know it was us? I could not believe it. So it's a real treat to be part of it. That's awesome. I can't believe they found you just from the Peloton for Horses line. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> There are two ways of hearing what just happened. Some of you will hear that the investor moved the goalposts, that Al was maybe a little condescending to the founders. I think that's a fair critique. Some of you will hear that the founders, they weren't communicating well enough. And they'd say, hey, if I'm in Al's shoes, I'm not gonna invest either. Either way, I think you're right. All of those things happened. It sucks, but This kind of thing happens all the time in venture. In the end, Al and the founders were like ships passing in the night or horses passing on the trail. Next week on The Pitch, have we finally found the killer use case for VR? Have you used a MetaQuest before? No, I Uh, haven't. So you should just be able to put it up. And if you look to your left, um, you should see my son's first ultrasound. Wow. We'll see you next week in the pitch room. Applications are open for next season of The Pitch. We're going to be in Miami in January. 18 startups will pitch the investors on our show. So if you or someone you know is raising pre-seed or seed, go apply at pitch.show slash apply. Even if you've applied before, apply again. See you in Miami in January. This episode was made by me, Josh Muccio, Lisa Muccio, Carrie Ann Thomas, Anna Ladd, and Enoch Kim, with casting help from Peter Liu. Music in today's show is from JT Ruff, Anders, Chocolate Milk Boys, The Giddy Uppers, Our Many Stars, Joya, 
Breakmaster Cylinder, and The Muse Maker. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, we've actually set up a special URL to make it super easy to share with a friend. It's pitch.show slash text. Try it out, pitch.show slash text. And if you want to listen to the pitch ad-free, subscribe to Pitch Plus. You'll also get occasional bonus content. Plus, it's a really good way to support the show. Just go to pitch.show slash plus to learn more. The pitch is made in partnership with the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Pitch, Inc. and their respective employees and affiliates do not provide investment advice or make investment recommendations. The information provided on this show should not be used as the basis for making investment decisions. Listeners should conduct their own research and consult with their own investment advisors before making any investment decisions.